This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, Episode 14. On BitcoinAverage.com, a millibitcoin is trading at 43 cents, or $430 per Bitcoin, same as last week. Is this the calm before the storm? A lot of Bitcoin insiders think so. Remember back when Bitcoin sat under $100 for months on end, and then, well, I'm not going to say to the moon, but you get my point. Mm, mm, mm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining us today as we podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw. We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love to talk about Bitcoins. And share what we learn with you, the listener. Welcome to the show, and thanks for listening. On today's show, we are pleased to welcome into the studio our good friend, Jesse Alvey, one of the Nashville Bitcoin triumvirate, as I like to call them. Yes, one of the three founders of the Nashville Bitcoin Network. Jesse joins us for a spirited discussion about politics, Bitcoin, and all things relevant to our Bitcoin community. We also meet up with James White, another good friend of ours from the Nashville Bitcoin Meetup Group. James gives us a great perspective on digital currencies and then extends to us a friendly down-home invitation to our first Bitcoin barbecue. No, this has nothing to do with the bogus barbecue coin. We're talking Nashville-style barbecue, James White style. The real deal with hot pulled pork, ice-cold beer, you know, Nashville summertime stuff. So stay right here for more Bitcoins and Gravy. And remember to call us on the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline with your or comments or questions at 615-208-5198 or simply click on the hotline link from your mobile phone when you visit bitcoinsandgravy.com or you can email us at howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com that's howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com So, ladies and gentlemen, on today's show for Bitcoins and Gravy, we have a special guest in the studio with us. Jesse Alvey, one of the founding members of the Nashville Bitcoin Meetup, has agreed to come hang out with us on this beautiful spring Thursday evening. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, good, good. Um, that's technically incorrect. Okay, all right. Correct us, please. <laughs> uh, I started the Nashville Bitcoin Network, wow. and simultaneously, uh, Luke Stokes and John Armese kind of got together and were putting together the meetup.com meetup group. Well, we worked <laughs> together uh, to try to bring together a community of people who are interested in this technology and the currency. So I love the Nashville Bitcoin Network and the meetup group, and it's small, but I think it's pretty solid at this point. Yeah, we definitely have some regulars, uh, people across the gamut, too. I think you were going to be interviewing James, who's a member. You already had talked to John Meese and Luke Stokes, and they're they're great guys. Yeah. Um, what I'd like to see is more developers show up. We had a few coders, a few programmers. I'd like to get you know working groups together, yeah. so we can really contribute to this thing in a in a different way, other than just getting around talking about how great it is. We did have Bill Butler <laughs> on the show too. He's he's oh, a yeah. developer. He's a programmer himself and a and a business owner. Absolutely. So, we need programmers with a lot of money and a lot of free time. Are there a lot of tech people in town? Are they just not into Bitcoin yet like they are in Austin and other cities? Or what's going on? How can we get these people? How can we enlist these folks? Uh, mostly what I found that we can do to promote this thing is, uh, number one, advocate for uh, laissez-faire, hands-off policy to regulation right now. Uh, I don't think anybody knows how the technology is going to unfold and what it's going to become. So I think to try to kill it in the cradle is not going to help mm -hmm. this area. Well put. Tennessee, historically has had a very low, you know, not had really an income tax. And I think we've seen a lot of capital flight come to the state for that reason. A lot of people from Michigan, a lot of businesses from Michigan, a lot of people from California. And that's my personal agenda. That has nothing to do with the network. Um, and that's what I would advocate for. And I think you can see the results in all these people who are coming here. And then the other thing we have is the healthcare industry. We have a huge healthcare industry. So I'm sure there's a lot of technology people ancillary to it. So Jesse, what's something new and now that's exciting you about Bitcoin? What's some stuff that you're really interested in? It's hard to keep up now. It used to be easy to follow the news cycle. And now there's things happening everywhere, which I think, you know, 
It's a great sign of the success of the community. It just makes me feel dumb, though, is the, is the sad part. I used to you know, feel like I was a Bitcoin expert. I know I can explain everything about Bitcoin to you. Now, with everything going on, people ask me what's going on. I can still tell them those basic things that I know. But now there's this whole giant realm that's opened up, and I'm, I'm basically clueless. Yeah, things do seem to be happening so fast. Thank God for the Zero Block app, which has got you know the Reddit feed off to the side. Basically, I just take a look at that every once in a while and kind of scour through it and see what kind of things are going on. And today it was all about dark wallet. Right. Speaking of crypto anarchy, do you have any thoughts on that and, and what dark wallet is all about? I will tell you, it's on the interview with Cody Wilson, though, and the guy is truly brilliant, you know, and he knew before he came out with the 3D printable gun, he knew that he was going to get all this flack and he, you know, he weighed it. Is it worth it? And he decided, yeah, it's worth it. So he came out with the 3D gun and he went through all of that and now he's doing the dark wallet. And yeah, the guy is just listening to him talk. He really is brilliant. You know, for one thing, I think the dark wallet claims that you will be able to within your wallet wallet, mix up your Bitcoins, right? And then spend them. So you you can get some Bitcoins in from somewhere, you buy some from somewhere, send them to that wallet, and then you can mix them up right there. You don't have to go to blockchain or to one of these other mixing services. You The, the wallet will mix them right there and, and send them on their way or put them in a different wallet that's not associated with you. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I think that's fantastic. People who are really worried about money laundering, really worried about terrorists, they're always going to be bad players out there. But the majority of the people, 95% of the people are going to use it just because they want anonymity. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're going to use it. You know, they may have what an average of a hundred to a thousand dollars in their wallet at one time, the equivalent. They're not going to have millions of dollars. It's not like you have all of a sudden everybody turns into a, you know, a a crazy uh, terrorist and they have millions of dollars and everybody's money laundering and the children in school are money laundering. And that's just so much, you know, hyperbolic bullshit. Well, we had an interesting discussion with James last night where James was pointing out the potential darker side to everybody adopting Bitcoin in the future and the fact that it would be very easy to trace all transactions and know what was happening with everybody's funds going everywhere. And so certainly in a situation like that, even just conducting day-to-day stuff, you might like to have some anonymity and not have everybody know what you're spending money on all the time or who you're paying. I mean, in that case, you wouldn't even be able to pay the guy for mowing your lawn without somebody knowing for sure that you had done it. Yeah, we just have to go back to not using uh, any digital currency or not using any fiat. We just have to do the old barter system. Hey, kid, here's a chicken or here's a ham, <laughs> right? Well, uh, Kids they, like chickens and hams, don't they, they? they? They also like green machines and big wheels. Oh, nice, yeah. yeah. Although we have tons of stuff to barter. I'm not worried anymore. Well, this technology, the, the technology era that we're in now is going to allow for this sort of cat and mouse race. You know, it's going to, red queen theory, I think is what it's called in biology, where everything's adapting as quickly as it can just to sort of maintain equilibrium, the the attacker and the defender. Hmm. Um, and I think we'll see that same thing in the Bitcoin space. I think uh, it has great potential to do harm and great potential to do good. And it depends on what we as members of the community push for and advocate for. And that's why I think talking about politics is important. That's why I kind of wanted to come here today. Well, you mentioned on the forums in the Nashville Bitcoin Network Facebook group, everybody's welcome to join. John, you brought up a a comment on an article from Bitcoin Magazine, Bitcoin Breaks the Fourth Wall of Liberty. And it was a commenter named Millie Bitcoin wrote, Bitcoin is software and a protocol which can be used by anyone with any political belief. Many people with certain political belief attach themselves to Bitcoin and try to make arguments that users of Bitcoin somehow agree with their political beliefs. These people create walls to mass adoption, not break them down. One of the biggest complaints from new users is that when they try to understand Bitcoin, they are bombarded with political ideology that most people don't agree with. Well, thank goodness we don't talk politics on this show. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, I think that's really true. I think that uh, new users are bombarded with lots of things. I think they're also bombarded with lots of misinformation from the media, and I think that's unfortunate. But I do think there are lots of really good sources out there now for new users, for people to learn about Bitcoin that have never even heard of Bitcoin. And uh, I think that's great that we have all of these new resources you know, for people to learn about Bitcoin in a, a non-political way and also in a non-media uh, hype type of scare the people way. Um, my, my comment, you want me to read my comment? Yes, uh, please. Okay, so uh, my response to Millie Bitcoin's comment there was as follows. Millie's comment was in response to this Bitcoin magazine article. I certainly don't like the idea that walls are being put up by anyone when it comes to Bitcoin, but unfortunately, I agree with Millie. Hmm. 
<laughs> if you have a political agenda, it might be nice to make sure that you're not confusing that agenda with the potential Bitcoin, the protocol, and Bitcoin, the currency, both have. Potential is not about the exclusivity of a given political party, political movement, or political agenda. Potential is about making sure that all the people have access to this very potential. Of course, I would have to say, um, let's not let the Republicans in on it, though. <laughs> I thought you guys would like that. And I don't really mean that because I've got some really good friends that are, are Republicans. So am I understanding correctly that this article was basically, was essentially saying that as people keep attaching ideologies to Bitcoin, it's creating barriers and walls to more people joining? No, that was actually, the article was about how um, Bitcoin gives libertarians a way to bring up these concepts of liberty. And the comment was saying that there was a claim made that people are getting bombarded with libertarian ideology when they start talking about Bitcoin. Right. And John warned me about that at the first meetup we went to. I said, watch it, he man. He said, watch it. There's a lot of people that like to talk about libertarianism. And I thought, I was like, oh, come on, man. And then a week into it, I'm like, oh, I get it. I know what he's talking well, about. Well, see, I didn't know what to expect, right? I'd never met these crypto anarchists. And I'd been in a room full of libertarians before. And I, I thought, well, these guys are going to all be wearing, you know, fatigues and, and hunting hats and have, you know, holsters and everything. I had no idea what to expect. But I was, I was pleasantly, I was pleasantly, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised, right? <laughs> guilty of wearing all those things or guilty of not knowing what to expect? I do have fatigues. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I have any, but I did have parachute pants back in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, I was just kind of wondering what the warning was about. Like, I, I think that was a hyperbolic point that Melly was making. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that Bitcoin is a segue to talk about all these other things. And it shouldn't, every conversation around this should be respectful, obviously. Sure. You're not going to change anybody's mind by assaulting them no. or saying what you believe is stupid and inferior. Right. But if you, I mean, I, there's so many things that you have to rethink when you enter the Bitcoin space mm -hmm. that you kind of start to realize that your house is on fire. You know, when you have to start rethinking about what money is mm -hmm. and where it comes from now versus where it comes from in a Bitcoin system from the Bitcoin technologies, you kind of have to approach all these new, approach these old ideas from a new paradigm. I think so. And I think that's what the article was saying is that now, um, you know, there's a way for us to say, by the way, do you know what the Federal Reserve is? Mm -hmm. Do you know uh, that there's nothing backing your currency now? And if that's an objection you have to Bitcoin, guess what? Um, and then going back to our earlier points, because central banks have this control and the, and the government's ability to borrow from these central banks to do things like invade other countries, that's a byproduct of fiat currency. And that's a byproduct of the system we have now. People may be totally oblivious to this because it's just a not, you know, it's sort of a philosophical idea. You're re-examining something that you use every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And having to approach it from a different angle. And I have to say that for me, that kind of discussion about um, the Federal Reserve and the, what the value of the dollar and all that kind of stuff, it always just kind of rang of conspiracy theory talk to me initially when I used to hear it. And so it just wasn't, it wasn't much to talk about. But as soon as Bitcoin came into the equation and we're talking about what really does work with Bitcoin, all of a sudden what doesn't work in fiat currency becomes really transparent, you know, mm -hmm. and you look at it and it makes a whole lot of sense all of a sudden and you think, wow, you know, this really is kind of screwy. Yeah, I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that uh, things are not quite as they previously believed they were or that they grew up being taught that they were. You know, the public schools really do not do a very good job of teaching uh, children about true history, world history, geography, um, you know, economics. They just don't do a very good job, in my opinion. My public schooling in Indianapolis was just piss poor. Uh, and school is an evolution of the Prussian education system in the 1800s called school, which was designed to create employees. You know, uh, people who knew enough to be good on the assembly line, but not critical thinkers. Makes sense. And that was in the 1800s, you said? I believe so. Part of the Industrial Revolution? Yeah, Brett Vinat uh, with School Sucks podcast does a great job in kind of going over the history of the education system in America. Well, I think it's interesting that we used to have shop classes. And when I was in eighth grade, I took wood shop and you had the choice wood shop or metal shop. And I think they still have home ec, but a lot of schools don't have um, any shop classes anymore. But consider that was, <laughs> you know, that was the tail end of our 
industry, right? We were a real industrial country. So what, what were we doing? We wanted these young men to be able to use their hands because you were going to maybe go work for the Ford Motor Company on an assembly line. These kids have to be able to use their hands. Imagine the kids today, put them on the Ford <laughs> assembly line. They're going to get mangled, you know? They can barely, Some of these kids can barely walk. Well, they know how to use their hands on an iPhone or an Android. Exactly. And they're really good on computers. And that's the whole point. So, you know, they're really going to be, uh, they're, you know, the, the classes in school now are computer based or they're IT based so that kids are going to be really good workers in that regard, right? I mean, that's what you're saying makes sense, Jesse. Um, and from what I understand about economics is that every country kind of goes through a uh, industrialization period. So when you talk about cars and uh, what we think of as old Detroit, mm-hmm. well, even before that with the textile manufacturing and, and the difference between the North and South economies and the Civil War, that was sort of our growth into the superpower that we are now or the modernity that we all get to enjoy now. But you start to see countries like Bangladesh or India going through that same phase now. Rural China, you know, they're now having their industrial revolution where they all their society works in factories. Eventually, that'll probably move to Africa. But at the same time, this prosperity is bringing up the whole world, I think, mm-hmm. as we move out of these industrial models. And so it would seem that Bitcoin may be part of the next revolution, you know, of commerce and economy. And we were talking a little bit about this earlier. Bitcoin is going to enable more free market economy. If we can get that middleman out of the way, then maybe John doesn't need to work 40 hours a week. Maybe John puts on his taxi driver hat for three hours and goes and makes enough to eat for the week. Hey, how yeah. come John gets to take a break? Can I take a break first while he no. keeps working? <laughs> no, no. Well, and then Lidge, Sorry, my friend. No. Lidge will put on his uh, uh, hotel concierge uniform with his hotel concierge app and be a, a, an employee for three hours. Or, uh, you nice. know, maybe you create your own distributed uh, business model. A bell, bellboy. <laughs> or come down here to the studio and work on my Hotel California mixing desk instead of, you know, mowing nice. the lawn as much. Nice. Now, is that true that that mixing board was used in the recording of Hotel California? That's right. The very console that we are using to record our podcast was used to create Hotel California in Miami in the 1970s. Dude, that is absolutely insane. That is so Pretty cool. <laughs> it really is cool. Well, so That we, gives you an idea of how aged the equipment is in this uh, recording studio. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. all kinds. There's old <laughs> stuff and new stuff. Old stuff and new stuff. So actually, speaking of old stuff and new stuff, how does that apply to Bitcoin? Is Bitcoin got some elements of what is old as well as elements of what is new? Uh, I think scarcity, mm-hmm. right? There's scarcity. Yeah. Uh, until the the people who are operating the current software democratically decide to implement the new software version, which could decrease the amount of scarcity in the system, which is, that's a possibility. But well, the idea of currency itself is an old concept, that's for sure. Absolutely. And currency just uh, facilitates trade where I don't have to find somebody to take my two goats for the chair I need. You mm-hmm. know, I could, there's an intermediary that we can trade with. So Wait, wait, wait. You've got two goats? Yeah, you I've got a chair. No, I've goats. got a chair. I've got a chair. <laughs> then we don't even need currency. <laughs> nice. So uh, I think we may have to wrap up now, guys. Any topics that we didn't get to cover that you'd like to talk about, Jesse? Yeah. So uh, like I said, I think Millie was making a hyperbolic point, and I don't think anybody's really being assaulted with ideology, but I would like to read my response to uh, John's post. Yes. Because I, because I think this healthy discussion is important to have. Absolutely. Um, even if not because of Bitcoin, but because uh, our house is on fire. Yes. Um, So I wrote to John, there's an important point to make here. Bitcoin was born out of crypto anarchism. In fact, there's a political commentary manually coded into the Genesis block. The earliest adopters were people who were interested in the potential of a free market electronic currency. And now, in order to make more people comfortable by inviting the dysfunctional status quo with the free market, regulators are being invited to the table. With regulation comes regulatory enforcement, i.e. violence. So essentially, you have two naturally arising factions, free marketers and those who would invite the violent oligarchs and maintainers of the status quo into this environment. Should people act civilly? Yes, of course. Should we respect each other's opinions? Obviously. Should the discussion be avoided? No, absolutely not. Entering the, entering the Bitcoin ecosystem is to begin to rethink the comfortable paradigms we have so long inhabited. New questions are brought to the table. What really gives currency value? Is spontaneous order superior to lawful stagnation? Can open source peer-to-peer currency liberate people living in an authoritarian society? Political questions are literally encoded into Bitcoin's DNA, whether or not that fact makes people uncomfortable. And I close with the quote from the Genesis block. The Times, 03-Jan-2009, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. Yeah, second bailout for banks. Mm, 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 mm. Well, that was some well-said rebutting. That was. Jesse, thank you for sharing that with us. That's some serious food for thought. 
Well, hey, Jesse, it was really great having you on the show. And I would like to ask if you would like to come back sometime because we would really love to have you back. Oh, it's been a great discussion. I think we had almost more fun off mic than we did when we uh, got in here in the studio. Never. Don't tell our listeners that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Thank you for being here, Jesse. And uh, as usual, we always have a very sort of short 20 minute window to interview and so much more to say and so much more to talk about. So it would be wonderful to have you back on the show. Hey, how about let's bring Jesse back with um, Luke Stokes and John. On our Mies, and we can have the full trinity. Do you mind if I refer to you three as the trinity, the tri- triumph, <laughs> the triumvirate? Your choice. Triumvirate. How about the hat trick? Absolutely. You yeah. like triumvirate better? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Great. Jesse, can you tell our listeners how they can find you and how they can follow you? Yeah, if you're in Nashville, uh, join us at the Nashville Bitcoin Network uh, Facebook group, and uh, coming soon, EncryptNashville.com. Mm, nice. EncryptNashville.com. That's us. And what's that going to be? kind of projects off of Facebook. I don't like trusting everything to a third party. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Anytime I post anything on Facebook, and really I, I have only started using Facebook uh, since the Bitcoin meetup started or the Bitcoin network started, uh-huh. but anything I post on there, I'm like some guy out in a van somewhere, some lonely guy out in the desert in some <laughs> building. He's like forced to listen to this stuff. That's his job. And he's like, I am so bored. And he's, you know, whenever a, ke- a keyword goes through, a flag goes up and he's got to read the things like, what is this? Anyway, so I feel sorry for those guys. I really do. I feel for those guys. You don't think that Facebook has all your dreams and best interest at heart? <laughs> well, they could they could wipe us away, and that's their right as a private company. So we'd like to have our own, um, something we own, the key to. I want to have Mark, uh, was it Zuckerberg? I want to have him on the show. Let's do it. I like it. Maybe we can have him and Richard Branson on the show. You mean resident of Mexico, Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> Is he now? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. He's a resident of Mexico? That's my Is he a resident or did he just own the place? <laughs> <laughs> he bought in Mexico. And I think he actually just bought Mexico City, right? Just the city. <laughs> well, it's funny because you hear a lot about the corruption in Mexico. But if you get pulled over in Mexico, you throw somebody a $20 bill. If you get pulled over here, they take half your day and $120 in court costs. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely the truth, isn't it? You run a stop sign. I did the rolling stop a couple of months ago. And I think the administrative fee alone was like $40. It was ridiculous. Yeah, for a crime that had no victim. Exactly. Well, Jesse, thanks again for joining us on Bitcoins and Gravy. And we look forward to seeing you at the next meetup. Thanks, Jesse. Love you guys. See you on the Freedom Train. Coinstacks was founded in 2013 to meet the demand for a quick-shipping, precious metals dealer that accepts Bitcoin. Robert Michael Jr., the owner of Coinstacks, makes it clear. We know that as long as central banks keep printing paper, smart investors will keep stacking coins, virtual and physical. Coinstacks takes pride in only offering products that are in stock, so all orders ship out quickly. Coinstacks will ship to homes, offices, banks, depositories, or UPS customer centers. All packages are shipped fully insured. Look, when it comes to diversifying a portfolio and protecting your wealth, let's get real. There's no better way that I know of right now than investing in gold and silver. And Bitcoin, of course. Take a tip from John here at Bitcoins and Gravy and leverage some of that Bitcoin. Go to Coinstacks.com today and take a look at the beautiful gold and silver coins you can buy right now using Bitcoin. That's Coin, C-O-I-N, Stacks, S-T-A-X, Coinstacks.com. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lid Shaw. We're two guys from East Nashville, Tennessee, who love talking about Bitcoin. Join us for Bitcoins and Gravy right here on KCAA 1050 AM each Monday night at 5 p.m. as we talk with business owners around the country and around the world who are using Bitcoins right now to grow their businesses. We interview Bitcoin experts about cutting-edge developments, the future of Bitcoin the currency, and Bitcoin the shared network. We also talk with everyday folks who use Bitcoins instead of money for everyday purchases. And if you're still not sure about Bitcoins, we can help. Bitcoins and Gravy will get you up to speed with this new fast-paced technology, Bitcoin. We invite you, the listener, to call us on the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline at 615-208-5198 with your questions or comments about Bitcoin. And remember to tune in right here to KCAA 1050 AM every Monday night at 5 p.m. for Bitcoins and Gravy. Mm -mm -mm. Now that's gravy.
Right here in East Nashville, Tennessee, we have a wonderful school called the Montessori East. It was founded in 2009, and for their five-year celebration, they are doing a fundraising CD of local music. So they asked me if I would write a song to contribute to the CD, and I thought, why don't I take it a step further, and I'll co-write a song with my daughter, Soraya, who went to the school for two years of preschool. So we got together. She came up with a great chorus called... Spring is an amazing thing, and we wrote this song together. I recorded it right here at the Toy Box with her older sister, Cara, singing background harmonies, turned it in, but then thought, hey, why don't we take it a step further and reach out to our listening audience and see if they might like to contribute Bitcoin as part of the fundraising process. So here's the song. If you enjoy it, please go to bitcoinsandgravy.com slash Montessori East, M-O-N-T-E-S-S-O-R-I East. Here's our song, Spring is an Amazing Thing. Hope you enjoy it. Next up, it's time for Aw Heck! Awesome hotline emails and comments, kids. The first one we have coming in through SoundCloud, and it comes to us today from Romantics Romantics, who says, Excellent audio quality and nice music! Exclamation point. Would like to hear you guys talking about Wall Street and Bitcoin from an East Nashville perspective. Well, that's a great idea. In fact, if you haven't heard it yet, please go back and listen to episode 5 and episode 12, bitcoinsandgravy.com slash episode 5, 
or same address slash episode 12, and you'll find our interviews there with Paul Vigna from the Wall Street Journal, who writes for BitBeat. He's come onto the show a couple of times and had fantastic things to say. So, um, you know, great, great suggestion. We should have him on again at some point, and we'll certainly keep focus on that. Um, John, what else have we got from SoundCloud comments? Another SoundCloud comment is a question from Adia Ayer. She asks, so when will you make the music video? Adia, thanks so much for the comment and the reminder. If I remember correctly, you're the belly dancer here in Nashville, right? Well, here's an update. The song, Ode to Satoshi, is still doing really well on YouTube with over 7,300, that's 7,300 views to date, and almost two Bitcoins received in tips so far from dozens of generous tippers in the Bitcoin community. So yes, Adia, as I mentioned in the song notes, I do still plan to make a music video using the Bitcoin tips I received, and yes, we definitely still want you to belly dance in the video. So if there's anyone out there who would like to step up and help make this music video, I'm happy to use some or all of the Bitcoin tips I've received so far to pay for your services. Feel free to email us at howdy, that's howdy, at bitcoinsandgravy.com with your reel or any samples of your video work. The video would probably need to be shot locally because, of course, Lidge and I would definitely want to be in it. And, of course, if there are any any Bitcoin millionaires out there who would like to fly us into L.A. or Manhattan or Amsterdam or Tokyo, Sydney, uh, any place like that to shoot the video, we are happy to oblige. Bags are packed, ready to go. So today on the show, Lidge and I are very pleased to welcome James White. We know James from the Nashville Bitcoin Meetup Group. What would you like to talk about on the show that's of special interest to you? This whole thing of whether it's a, a currency, a property, a commodity, the KGB's rule, uh, it wasn't technically a ruling. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that some people are getting confused. Uh, it was a, technically a notice. Um Mm -hmm. They didn't put down a hard ruling that it is property. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you've got people saying that, well, it's not currency. You know, tulip bulbs can be currency and all this crap. Well, you know, it's uh, anything can be currency if we believe it. Right. Sure. We can barter anything. So I don't see where they're coming from with this. So but, where do you th uh, how do you think that's going to affect the Bitcoin community, people who have small businesses accepting Bitcoin, and then, you know, those of us who just want to be able to use Bitcoin, you know, to buy a cup of coffee every once in a while or to sell Bitcoins to our friends or what have you in a Satoshi Square situation. But how do you think this really affects the Bitcoin community? Do you have any thoughts about that? You know, you got users, you got speculators, you got hoarders that are not just speculating, but hoarding as well. Uh, you've got some of that like there that are thinking that this whole fiat system is going to fall apart, which, yeah, it will. All reserve currencies have collapsed. There's been over a dozen in the past 200 years. Mm -hmm. And this one's at about the end of its lifespan, if you compare it to all the other reserve currencies. Do you want to make a prediction at the end of its lifetime? Yeah. What, another week or two or <laughs> another year or two? What do you say? Well, we've, we've exponentially expanded this debt-based dollar because it has to. Yeah, it's not a matter of does someone want it to. It's a fact of its design. Yeah. Uh, and how far can that go before it's devalued, which look at the cost of living. Mm -hmm. Everything has tripled in the past seven, eight years, 10 years. Yeah. It wasn't that many years ago, you know, gasoline was 95 cents so a buck 10. Now we're at 350. Mm -hmm. Food has mm -hmm. jumped some 14% in the past quarter, quarter mm -hmm. and a half. And all of this is because of dollar based. Let me ask you this, James. How, how do you see uh, Bitcoin, for example, jumping into the rescue in this case? First thing has to happen if we could move from this fiat dollar, because this. Bitcoin can't be exponentially expanded. It's, it's finite. Now, this changes the game for banks, which now is finally coming to light in the mainstream that banks just create out of thin air, not just the Fed Corporation, but banks. Mm -hmm. They have a 10% reserve. The rest, they can just trade commercial paper and it becomes money. Mm -hmm. Well, because this can't be expanded forever, you have to have 100% reserve. 
Now, if tomorrow morning banks woke up and said, well, we have to have 100% reserve, and actually IMF talked about this in 2012 favorably and said this is a good idea and it will work. Yeah, they tried to pass it in 1934, but it failed. But if we could go to this tomorrow morning, banks would put signs out on the street corner talking about how much they're going to pay you for your deposit. Mm -hmm. See, right now, they don't have to pay you anything for your deposit because they can create money right there on, on the balance sheet by themselves. They don't need your money. Right. They can loan out nine more dollars to every dollar you bring them. It's a pretty messed up system. Exactly. So at 100% reserve, you would bring them 100 dollars in bitcoin and that's all they could do they can't just write down well we got 10 more bitcoin over here we didn't tell you about it. out of thin air they can't do that james how do you think that bitcoin is going to move forward now as a commodity versus if the irs had said bitcoin is a currency what do you see as the difference there it's unfortunate they didn't just go at it as a currency Certainly, I agree. I think most people in the Bitcoin community would agree with that. Okay, but for our listeners, maybe explain why it's unfortunate. Well, by ruling it a property, it changed the tax. Uh, now, it's like anything else. You can buy and sell. You report the difference You know, if you make a profit on it, which here lately, not many people making much profit. Uh, if you bought way back and you sell it today, then you would just have to show you know, as far as a capital gain. Mm-hmm. And you only have to do that if you realized the gain. Like some people this year thought, well, we've got to go ahead and report this as a, as a gain. Well, no, not until you sell it. That's right. Yeah. I always thought, you know, you don't even you don't even have to sell it. There's got to be some way where you can just say, hey, I lost the private key. <laughs> I don't have yeah. the private key. I yeah. lost the private key in my new car. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> hey, I've got I've got 10,000 bitcoins, but I lost the private key. You can't tax me on it because I don't have it. I don't know what I did with it. Right? I don't know what or, I did with it, but then, you know. I'll ask my new cleaning lady to have a second look around the new house for it. <laughs> I think eventually this is going to change. I don't think this is going to stay hard fast. So here now, Bloomberg is going to start putting it up on their uh, uh, systems to show people the price, like all the other commodities. It's interesting that they have not said we're banning it. Of course, this country is not going to do that. No. The PBOC might do that, and they're not going to do it either because China doesn't want to be left out of the technical loop. That's right. They're not going to sit there and, and kick a technology to the curb and let uh, anybody else pick it up. So that's not happening over there, and it's definitely not happening over here. Right. Uh, but I think they will eventually turn that around. So what do you think is going on in Washington? What do you think the conversation is that, of course, then trickled down, if you could look at it that way, to the IRS and, and they made the ruling? What's going on in Washington? What are they thinking about in the White House in Washington, D.C.? Regulating. Lots of regulating, especially, you know, like New York. New York wants to issue bit licenses to businesses, which I think, you know, they're, they're regulating happy up there. Sure. If you can't print it, what else can you do but regulate it? There you go. Yeah. Well, you regulate it and then you tax it. Mm -hmm. So the next thing you do, of course, the tax is the fee for the license, which there will be a fee for any license you buy from, from any government. Mm -hmm. I pay licenses, uh, fees for my licenses uh, to, to uh, Metro. So, uh, you know, that's what they'll do with that. They would like to figure out how to make money from this. So they're all trying to get their head around this and say, well, what do we do with this? And now you've got MasterCard up there lobbying. Well, they're, they're getting a little bit nervous. Well, nobody's been taking them for so long. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Well, the the retailers are taking the beating over the card networks of, you know, 3 4%. Well, that's why they want you to use your PIN number these days so it goes over the ATM network and doesn't go over their card network when you use your debit card. Right, mm -hmm. right. Well, now the retailers are saying, well, if we can use Bitcoin, then we don't have to pay these higher percentages, so we can just move that to the profit column like Overstock did. Now, it's very small percentages of sales they're doing, but it adds up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the retailers, certainly in this town, when you mention Bitcoin, they have no idea what you're talking about still. Or they may have yeah. heard of it, but they're just like, well, 
I, I get know. a lot of laughs. I get a lot of people yeah. laughing at me. <laughs> yeah, and then when I try and explain them, you know, that people who you spend Bitcoin are going to come frequent their establishment. They want to know how many people it is. And the truth is, you know, we could bring in a crowd at a time, but I'd say initially at the beginning, it's going to be a trickle. It's going to be a few people that come in and want to do it at first. And as it catches on, it'd be more and more. Well, you know, what I don't understand is a lot of retailers here in Nashville and elsewhere, if they only knew how much business they could have if they would just take their you know, whatever it is, a small boutique that sells candles and picture frames and jewelry, if they would only take that online, and maybe they even do have a website, if they would just start accepting Bitcoin on their website and let it be known in the Bitcoin community, I think they'd be shocked by how much business they would get. Like uh, Lidge and I interviewed the woman from Tealit who sells teas online, right? Yeah. Remember that? And what'd she say? Like a third of her business? Yeah, 30% increase in income, I think it was. Exactly. Accepting Bitcoin and Litecoin. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's huge. So I think that just a lot of retailers just have no idea about this. They don't. How do we get, how do we get the word out to them, James? They're, they're coming around. A lot of them just through media. Uh, Amazon, which has just recently said they don't have any interest in it at the moment, but they're going to keep their eyeballs on it. They're not just going to, you know, forget about it. Because they're, you know, Amazon's got to compete with the Tiger Directs and Overstock. Right. Uh, yeah, that's right. And Amazon's another one. They're not going to shovel a technology back there somewhere and just forget about it and let everybody pass them up. They didn't. They didn't get to be the size they are being stupid. It, it's inevitable. Uh, PayPal is over there going. Well, I'm kind of interested in it, but we're not going to fool with it right now with eBay. Everybody's on the fringes looking in, going, "Well, who's going to jump first? Because I don't want to look dumb." Well, what surprises me is that PayPal and Amazon have not already come out with their own digital currency. Why haven't they? They've got the whole world by the balls. In other words, they've got the attention of everybody. Why not just come out with the PayPal coin and everybody that uses PayPal would immediately start using it, wouldn't they? That's exactly what I was just thinking, John. They're probably just devising their own PayPal coin and they're going to launch with that. I mean, I would think they would. They would immediately, almost overnight, just through their advertising and the power and the network effect that they already have, they could do a lot of damage to Bitcoin overnight, I would think. I don't want them to. I hope they don't. I hope they're asleep. But, you know, a thing is, if PayPal created a PayPal coin, by definition, if it was a decentralized currency, they would have to let go of the control of it. And to have their own brand name on something that they couldn't control might not be such a great idea. Who knows? Hey, that's a really good point. What do you think about that, James? Should PayPal create their own coin? It would be nothing more than another altcoin. Right. So take uh, any of the altcoins and just rename it PayPal coin. It really wouldn't change the game as far as the way the altcoins and all this is working. It would just change the name. I say we use the Sorcerer's Stone coin and we rename the Sorcerer's Stone. I can't even say that. Sorcerer's Sorcerer's Stone. The Sorcerer's Stone. And we change that into the PayPal uh, coin. Let's do it. Sam sells Sorcerer's Stones down by the... <laughs> I'm still getting used to Doge coin. I still call it dog coin, but anyway. Doggy coin. Uh, yeah, we were calling it doggy coin for a while, but someone schooled us and, and taught us that it actually is Doge coin, and I still don't really know what a Doge is. I've got like 100 million of them. No, not, I don't think I have that many. Maybe 100 of them, and I still don't know how to pronounce it. That uh, that thing, that name came from a animated cartoon. That's right. That's yeah, it was right. kind of goofy. Homestar uh, Runner. Homestar like, Runner. That's right. Yeah. James, do you yourself own any Dogecoin? No, no. No. What coins do you favor of the altcoins or are you not into altcoins at all? I'm loaded on Litecoin. Oh, nice. Nice. When I, when I, being the master of barbecue, come on, James. Any barbecue coin? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I got into the, the Bitcoin back when it was cheap. Mm-hmm. I started watching it at $3.55. Somewhere mm-hmm. in late 11, I remember where I was when I first saw it and what I was doing that afternoon. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat being being geeky and all uh, techy. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool, but it'll probably just stay there. Mm-hmm. Back then, you could buy it with a credit card. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And uh, then, of course, that ended. But it's funny that you say you got into it when it was th- uh, $3.50. And that was getting in early. And then for me, one day, hopefully I'll be able to look back and say, ah, you know, I got in early. I got it when it was, I got my first Bitcoin when it was $350. Right. And your grandkids will say, $350? You got to be kidding me. That's dirt cheap. You can't even buy an ice cream cone for $350. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, James, I also first saw Bitcoin when they were at $3. And I told myself, okay, look, I'm going to go get a loan. I've got these little places in Nashville where I can get a loan. I'm going to get a $3,000 loan. I'm going to buy myself a thousand Bitcoins. And then guess what? I just talked myself out. 
out of it. I thought, come on, man, you're going to be paying that $120 a month for that loan and you're going to have 3,000 bitcoins. And what's that going to be worth? You're probably going to just be throwing your money away. Well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's, about, on, that's what I came to. Yeah. If I was and, just a couple notches smarter, or a couple notches braver. Oh, man. Man, we could have had enough money to finally turn the air conditioning on in the studio. <laughs> Oh man! I, I, I see this uh, turning and moving. If, if you know, I'm not a big chart watcher, but if you want to look at the charts, you know, if you want to look for the proverbial, and a lot of people out there understand what a cup and handle is. If you want to look at that, you'll see right now we're making a great handle, like it's going down and looks to turn back up, like the previous ones have done. Mm-hmm. But every time you form that, it breaks out again and turns back up. Um, all we need right now is another Greece to happen, another mm-hmm. Portugal, Spain, Italy, which are all a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more big uh, financial mess or another, and Target was the shot over the bow for hacking into these cards. Mm-hmm. Right. About what they did, uh, loading software in and redirecting numbers. I think it's ridiculous. This country's one of the few that uh, we still are carrying a piece of plastic around with a live number on the front and back of these cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the credit card fraud is just over the top. It's now just a big business, right? An established big business in the U.S. If you're into credit card fraud, you've got your database. Underworld, you can just, you know, go to these sites, I guess, on the dark net and get yourself a credit card or I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works. Lidge, do you know how that works? I don't know anything about <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, you can. They're, they're called credit card dump. Right. So you can buy dump numbers for days. You sure can. What Target did for this current financial system with these cards is this was uh, a major uh, turning point for changing the way these cards are designed. We've got a card coming out shortly that will carry four cards inside by number only. It'll only show the last digits. They're pre-ordering them right now. This might gain a little traction possible. It's early on. This is an electronic card that uh, you can load your numbers in, but somehow this has got the last digits. This won't allow all the digits to somehow be shown. It's just a card that will store the numbers of your other cards. Oh, I see. Okay. I see. Uh, It's a little digital wallet. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That's a first attempt, but that's not the end all. It's it's got to change. It's costing the banks. It's costing the card companies. I've been called by my own bank, uh, uh, whom I with uh, SunTrust. Uh, a guy tried to use my card in England at a at a department store for over a thousand dollars, and I got a hmm. phone call. Hmm. Yep. So I mean, this is costing them a lot of money to employ all these people, when really there's no need in this. Yep. The very same thing happened to me when I was in Los Angeles years ago. I landed, I think I went to a 7-Eleven on the way to the to the studio I was working at. By the time I got to the studio, I got a call from Bank of America, and they told me my credit card number had been stolen, and somebody was already buying a TV at Walmart over in the Valley. Wow. So they had to issue me a new card while I was out there and get it to me. Well, something like that happened to me. Somebody in California actually used my credit card. I don't know how they got my credit card. They physically didn't get a hold of my credit card because I was here in Nashville. But they got a hold of my credit card numbers, my debit card, that's my visa for my Bank of America, and uh, and bought some women's wigs. Oh, no. That, that was me, John. I'm sorry. I was trying <laughs> Lidge, to keep it from you. But damn it, Lidge. I I didn't, you, <laughs> that is not funny, man. I can't believe you did. I was going to surprise you later at the show, <laughs> man. It was part of our next episode. Oh, no. Oh, but yeah, that was that was, uh, that was a little bit weird. But you're right, James. What's, what's going on is crazy. I mean, not just the wigs, but we've got to move away from this ridiculous plastic. We've got to get into the 21st century and start thinking about the 22nd century. Right. When so much money being moved anyway is digital with cards right. uh, of all descriptions. So there's very little physical uh, money being passed around. Most of us don't keep dollar bills in our pockets anymore. I very seldom do. Hey, James, it was really great talking with you, and I hope that you will have time to interview with us again sometime down the road. And of course, we'll see you at the Bitcoin meetups coming up. We'll be there next time around, yeah. 
All right. We're looking forward to it. Maybe next time we speak, we could do so at one of our favorite barbecue joints right here in Nashville. Yeah, we're going to have a uh, meetup over here at some point. Oh, over where? So, well, I was talking to a few of the guys and uh, might have an informal. I know they, uh, Jesse and a couple of them have done some informals and uh, we're talking about doing that. So, oh man, uh, that would be great. Sounds yeah. great. Count I'm, us in. I'm there, man. What should we bring? Beer? Oh, I got plenty of that. <laughs> We've always got beer. That's all right. Beer and yeah, barbecue. Beer and food. Hey, that sounds like yeah. fun, man. Cool. That's what we're going to do. All right, James. Now we'll, the weather's warming up. That sounds good. Now that weather's warming up, it's the time of the year. Beer and barbecue. Are you a home brewer at all? Uh, yeah, brew a little beer. Have you made a Bitcoin brew yet? Because they both Ooh. share one thing in common. They come in li- limited supply, and they'll soon be gone. Oh, nice, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> All yeah. right. Yeah, they, it, it is. It's uh, limited down to a few gallons. <laughs> That's right. Oh, wow. Yeah. It gets cool. more valuable as you get down to the last <laughs> ones, too. <laughs> All right, James. Hey, thanks so much for interviewing with us. It was great talking with you. Good talking with you all. All right. Thank you, James. Cheers. See you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much to our good friends Jesse Alvey and James White for taking some time out of their busy schedules to come talk with us. We would also like to give a special thank you to one of our sponsors on the show, Mike Tech, the Nashville company that has provided our microphones. We've been using the fabulous PM9 microphone for our podcast since day one and owe our award-winning sound to Mike Tech. To find out more about our guests and sponsors, visit our show notes at bitcoinsandgravy.com slash episode 14. Thanks so much for listening. We greatly appreciate your time and attention. Hey, Lidge, let's also give a special thanks to our friends in Southern California listening in on station KCAA, 1050 AM. Tune in Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific time to hear new episodes of Bitcoins and Gravy. And make sure to catch more great shows from the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network airing all week right here on KCAA, 1050 AM. Or download all the podcasts from letstalkbitcoin.com or directly from iTunes. And remember the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline. Have you ever wanted to be a podcaster? Then call us at 615-208-5198 and leave us a message with your comments or questions. If you give us permission, we'll put you on the show. So call anytime 615-208-5198. That's right. That's the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and leave a review or comment on iTunes or SoundCloud. Let us know what you like or where we can improve. And remember, it's your reviews that help new listeners discover Bitcoins and Gravy, plus all the other great shows on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network. And it's your generous tips that allow us to create the shows. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw. And you've been listening to Bitcoins and Gravy from East Nashville, Tennessee.